You're listening to episode 207 of Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In this final episode of the Year of Our Lord 2023, Dr. Beach begins a multi-episode journey of taking us through the seminal work of John Calvin and his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He kicks off with part one now, just to whet your appetite for when he picks it up again in February after we take a break in January. In this inaugural episode, he provides context to the Institutes, emphasizing the theological stakes and issues that Calvin is going to address in the 16th century. Take a listen. We begin a series of uh, podcasts, talks dealing with Calvin, and particularly Calvin and his Institutes of the Christian Religion. And you might uh, think of this also as learning the Christian faith through Calvin and with Calvin. All of us uh, need Christian instruction. Many of us will never really turn to the Institutes. We look at those big two volumes and it seems uh, a daunting task to wade through all of that material. However, uh, there are many helps and books available to assist us in uh, learning Calvin's uh, great book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And with this podcast, we begin by looking at Calvin in his context, what led to the writing of the Institutes and what was at stake when he did so, and the kind of issues that will help us uh, then in the following podcast start to look at the Institutes themselves and the way uh, Calvin brings and teaches the Christian faith uh, for his times, but uh, very applicable to our times as well. So one of the first things we need to recognize is that Calvin's Institutes is one of the magnificent classics of Christian literature. And as we embark on this task, we have a threefold aim. One, to become familiar with uh, one of the church's great theologians, Calvin himself, uh, to gain an appreciation of our Reformed Protestant tradition with Calvin as our uh, principal teacher in this case, and then third, to cultivate in ourselves, in Calvin-like concern, a genuine life of piety. I'll caution that by piety, Calvin is not advocating for a kind of pietism, but a genuine life of godliness, devotion to God, love for God, and a love for his church and the lost. So a life of piety. When Calvin wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion, or just the Institutes, as they're commonly called. He did so uh, as a very young man, about 26 years old, fairly recent convert to uh, Protestantism. And he also did so within a context in which the Protestant cause was very much under oppression. Thus, he prefaced his work with a uh, an address to King Francis I of France. And there he tells the monarch why he's writing this particular book. My purpose, he says, was solely to tra transmit certain rudiments, 
by which those who are touched with any zeal for religion, that they might be shaped to true godliness. So there it is again. His concern is Christian instruction. Indeed, the word institutes is really the word for instruction, instruction in the Christian religion. And so he looks upon his French countrymen, many hungering and thirsting for some knowledge of Christ, without proper instruction. And so he offers this book to offer what was needed. And in bringing this, he recognizes that the Protestant faith itself is contended against and oppressed, but Calvin can't resist being grabbed by the Spirit, surrendered to Christ. He's going to offer his life for the cause of Christian truth. And he also explains that the Protestant cause itself is much misunderstood, slandered, and uh, portrayed as if it was against the monarchy itself. And he makes clear to King Francis that nothing is true of that sort, that the concern is simply for the truth of the gospel, the exaltation of Christ, and the well-being of the monarch himself. And uh, since many were being oppressed, many were uh, being slaughtered or banished into exile, overwhelmed by threats, many Protestants didn't dare to open their mouths. Well, Calvin dared. God had prepared him to be a fit instrument in this regard. And even if it meant the threat of being shackled with irons or beaten with rods, or led about as laughing stocks, or some other kind of torture or uh, oppression, he was ready to, with many other Protestants, to do what was needed to see that the truth of the gospel went forward. And he explains that he's only seeking to promote the teaching of the Bible, the faith of the apostles, and that where truth goes forward, there has to be blessing that follows. So he does make clear that he's contending against the Roman Catholic Church and specific errors it has promoted, particularly regarding the papacy and the authority of the same, that having a role and place above the Christian uh, scripture, And his aim then is to reform the church, to correct the church, to call the church back to uh, the truth of the gospel, not to simply rage against the church or in any way uh, to contend against the church in that which would not edify. But inasmuch as the Protestants were much maligned, Calvin thought, it, his duty then to answer uh, slanders and to try to set the record straight. One way you can kind of get into the tenor of the times theologically for Calvin was he had briefly labored in Geneva, Switzerland, had later uh, been banished from there because the reformed efforts were a little too radical, too much, too fast, you might say. And a particular Catholic cardinal by the name of Sadaletto uh, sought to 
win Geneva back to the Catholic cause. And the Protestant authorities, civil authorities in Geneva, solicited Calvin to offer a response to uh, Saletto's appeal. And in responding, Calvin makes clear several things, and some of the particular issues that characterize the Reformation also come to the fore. Uh, Calvin makes clear that the doctrine of justification by faith alone was one of the principal doctrines in dispute. And so he, he talks about that. In his reply, he says, We constantly maintain that man is not only justified freely once for all without any merit of works, but on this gratuitous justification, the salvation of man perpetually depends. Nor is it possible, he continues, that any work of man can be accepted by God unless it be gratuitously approved. Wherefore, writes Calvin, I was amazed when I read your assertion, referring to Saletto, that love is the first and chief cause of salvation. So in this reply, he details and focuses on key points of contention, and that it, love, as wonderful as that is and necessary as that is, and a fruit of faith, all that being true, it's still Christ and his cross and his work done for us that is uh, the real hinge upon which uh, religion turns, as he'll state in the Institutes itself. So in offering a reply, he was seeking to save the Genevans from uh, what he would deem a false voice and to keep them on the track of the gospel and point them to Christ. As, as far as Calvin himself, I don't want to get lost, and this certainly isn't the place to spend too much time on his life, his biography and the like, but he was born, uh, just some background, he was born July 10, 1509 in a small town in northern France, which means he was about eight years old when Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, October 31, 1517, which also means he's a second-generation reformer. It means that he is standing on the shoulder of those who had gone before. Uh, he was not a German. He was a Frenchman. He would eventually spend his lifelong labors in French-speaking Geneva, Switzerland, and labored accordingly. As a young man, his father had provided him a first-rate education. He went to various colleges in uh, France, some of which were sort of like the Harvard or Yale of his day. He had prepared some years for a, a career in law, but after his father uh, suddenly died, he himself uh, switched to a study of Greek and Hebrew and the like. And his, his goal was to become a great humanist scholar like Erasmus. But with a sudden conversion that came into his life, came upon him, he talks about it in his preface to his Psalms commentary, how through a sudden conversion, God got hold of him and took his superstitious, unteachable mind 
subdued him, subdued his spirit, gave him a teachable disposition and frame, and immediately he gave his immense intellectual academic talents to the study of theology and scripture, and for that matter, eventually this would emerge as a call to the gospel. However, because he was now sympathetic and part of the Protestant cause in France, he was forced to flee, and he uh, found refuge in Basel, Switzerland for a time, and it was there in 1535-36 that he first penned the first edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. At the time, it was a book maybe about a quarter of the size of what you see, maybe even less of what you see in the two-volume work that exists today. It was a handbook. And what Calvin wanted to happen with this book is to teach the rudiments of the Christian faith such that it would enable uh, any literate person, because uh, he, he published it in Latin, but eventually he made his own translations into French as well, the vernacular, to enable a literate person to study Scripture for themselves. Being given sort of the basics of the Christian faith, now you can read the Scripture and for your own edification and understanding and growth. And so he makes very clear that his goal uh, was to help the Protestant cause in this way. He found himself actually commandeered into the Protestant cause when he had, uh, on a journey, uh, overnighted in uh, Geneva, and uh, Guillaume Farrell comes along and uh, says, oh, you would like to have a life of a retiring uh contemplative scholar, like a humanist uh, writer uh, via, or, or rather Allah in the way of uh, Erasmus. Well, no. And Pharrell uttered down a curse from God that, that God would damn Calvin's uh, life sought after, life of tranquility and contemplation. And this so startled Calvin that he was moved in August 1536 to begin his reforming labors in Geneva with Farrell. They didn't last very long. As I mentioned earlier, they got cast out a little too much reform, too hard, too fast. But again, uh, he later then uh, went to uh, Strasbourg, and under the tutelage of Martin Bootser, he labored for the French refugees uh, who were there, and for three years he labored there, learned much, matured in his own uh, writing and work, even had time to uh, update his institutes a bit, and uh, was finally asked back in 1541, invited back to Geneva, and he would labor there the rest of his life. It wasn't a very long life. Uh, he died shy of his 55th birthday, so he's 54 when he died in May of 1564. But Calvin was a prolific writer. He wrote commentaries or expository lectures 
not formal books, but uh, copied lectures on almost every book of the Bible. He, uh, his institutes went through many uh, expansions or additions, uh, material uh, being expanded, and again, both in Latin and French. We also learn about Calvin's theology from his letters, from his uh, catechetical writings, confessional-type documents he penned, and uh, polemical treatises as well. So his corpus is uh, uh, quite something, and fortunately, uh, most all of it has been translated into English. What we uh, don't have near as much of and what is also left unpublished is Calvin's sermons. Uh, most of his sermons were taken down uh, by stenographers. It takes a great skill to read that writing from then, and some of this was uh, lost through the centuries. But that's an area where much work could still be done relative to Calvin's Institute. So as a mere 26-year-old, he pens this first edition, this little handbook to aid in reading the Bible, and uh, various editions follow, and it gets bigger and bigger, and finally we have it in its definitive form in uh, uh, 1560, uh, is the 1559 in Latin, 1560 in his French translation of that. And now it's more than a handbook. It's something more like a theological instruction manual. It is summed up in broad outline according to the Apostles' Creed. It treats it's, it has four books to it. That's its divisions, knowledge of God the Creator, knowledge of, of God the Redeemer, the way in which we receive the grace of Christ, that's book three, and then book four, the external means or aids by which God invites us into the society of Christ, the doctrine of the church, essentially. We also have numerous uh, English translations already back in 1561, the Thomas Norton translation. It wasn't translated again until 1813 by John Allen, then 1845 by Henry Beveridge, and Ford Lewis Battles translation of 1960. I'm told that Raymond, Dr. Raymond Blacketer for Crossway is working on a new translation of the Institutes. That's a little bit more rumor than fact as far as I know. In any case, there's uh, also various study aids. I have a book out called uh, Piety's Wisdom, a summary of Calvin's Institutes with study questions that really these podcasts kind of feed off of that book and uh, assist all of us. There's, there's other uh, books and sources available in this regard. And just as a way of pause, though Calvin's Institutes, as the big two volumes that exists in today, seems intimidating to, uh, to tackle, a few things ought to be noted. Calvin uh, writes with a what I'll call a rhetorical flourish, a rhetorical power. Uh, Luther was very earthy. Uh, in fact, my own personality is a bit more like Luther's and blunt and to the point and 
earthy language and analogy and illustration. Calvin writes with eloquence, and uh, he has his own form of rhetorical power so that not only it, is he concerned to say the truth, he's also concerned to say the truth well. And I hope to demonstrate that in uh, what follows. Indeed, we hope to look at uh, Calvin's teaching next, treating knowing God and uh, true knowledge of God. As we wrap up 2023, I want to sincerely thank all our dedicated listeners for tuning into the podcast throughout this past year. Your support keeps this podcast afloat, so we really couldn't continue to do this without you. Be on the lookout in January across our social media channels and email for an exciting announcement regarding something new for the podcast in 2024. Beginning in February, we're going to relaunch with fresh content that we can't wait to share with you. If you have ideas for topics or guests that you'd like our faculty to engage with in the coming year, feel free to email me at jluchibor at midamerica.edu. I welcome your input as we plan for 2024 and we'll include my email in the show notes below. We so appreciate you joining us this year and look forward to continuing to grow together in the year ahead. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your ears and helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in February 2024.